0: Propaniacs. Propaniacs. You're running from your life from a deadly tiger, or maybe even a Detroit lion. You stumble and fall off a cliff and cling with all your might to a single branch protruding from the rocky cliff face. The hungry lion looks down on you from above, while another looks up at you from below, just waiting on you to fall. Not a good place to be. When out of the corner of your eye, what do you see? Propaniacs. A King of the Hill podcast, of course. I'm your host, Melton McMaderberry, and today we work through the stages of the Season 3 premiere, Propane Boom Part 2, Death of a Propane Salesman. By the way, this episode is brought to you by Reinstein's Cowboy. They don't really recommend boots for a square-toed foot. So some general themes in this episode. Everyone seems to be facing the aftermath of trauma, and specifically facing in some way mortality. We see that, I think, in five different characters. First, of course, is Hank Hill. Hank Hill seems to be employing denial to deal with this trauma. Luann seems to be projecting her feelings onto something else. Peggy keeps that game face on that we see from Peggy a lot of times, whereas Bobby is pulled in to facing his father's mortality and responds in fear. But the fifth person, who ends up being the unexpected voice of reason and Introducing the rest of the Hill family to healthy coping mechanisms. Con Superdismphone of all people. We will see in this episode how Con deals with grief at the loss of dear Buckley. Hey, let's get into it. Act one of this episode, as you as it normally does, sets the table. It helps us understand what's going on, uh, and we see it initially through the eyes of Bobby and Connie, who are oblivious to the fact that. Megalomart has blown up as it did in the pre- in the previous episode. This cliffhanger is are sitting, and I love this rocket jungle gym thing that Bobby and Connie climb up in and ponder their futures. I, I, I want to crawl up in that myself and just sit. And it's an important scene here because it it shows that Bobby is already in the mindset of pondering the future even before he learns about this explosion at the Megalomart, and. The scene of that explosion is where we see how Luann deals with the aftermath of this trauma as she immediately projects her grief for Buckley onto what? Her hair. Now, all right, disclaimer, I'm using the term projection like I know what it actually is, realizing that I'm almost certainly misunderstanding it, or maybe even in using it at all, using a concept that hasn't been used by any real psychologist in 80 years I get that. But this is something like what's commonly called projection in popular culture, so I'm going to go with it. Probably what the writers had in mind also. So anyway, if you're qualified on this topic, definitely write me at MiltonMcMainerBerry at gmail.com and let me know all the ways I'm getting this wrong. But regardless of all that, it's pretty immediately clear here that Luann is substituting her feelings about losing her hair for her feelings about losing Buckley. Because Luanne is just simply unable to cope with the real issue, and we'll see a lot of that in this episode. And it's no surprise, right? Because dealing with real trauma and the associated emotions is not exactly in this culture's and this family's wheelhouse. Exhibit A on that, Luanne's saga in this episode, I think, does have a lot of references and a lot of continuity with Luanne's saga. We also saw this in Hank's Unmentionable Problem, as Hank was swallowing his emotions And not dealing with the real issue at hand. Now, the comic relief here of having Chuck Mangione say, I don't feel so good, while still holding his flugelhorn, no less, is brilliant and necessary. By the way, that's actually Chuck Mangione he cameos in this episode. How easy would it have been, among the emotional heaviness of this scene in this episode, for the writers to have lost sight of the fact that King of the Hill is supposed to be, above all, funny? And that's something this episode does really brilliantly. It balances this really heavy subject matter with a lot of really good levity. It never never sounds corny, never sounds overly sentimental. It's just put together and constructed and balanced very well. Now, over at the Heimlich County Medical Center, I assume some outpatient clinic, Peggy is waiting outside an exam room where Hank is being seen and treated. And she has that game face on that we talked about at the beginning of this episode. It's a nice touch how this is illustrated. Peggy nervously fiddles with her purse strap while they sit there and wait. She and Bobby sit there and wait for Hank to come out. And it's perfect King of the Hill because, as we said, emotions are generally below the surface on King of the Hill. We watch this as the viewer, and we know that Peggy is nervous. But how do we know that? She doesn't say it, but we read it in her body language. It's just so subtle, and it's so perfect. And now we see that Hank is as unable to cope as Luann. But rather than projecting, Hank just denies that there's a problem. Well, that's the good thing about death. You either die or you don't. I didn't. So black and white, right? So wooden, so concrete. I didn't die. Therefore, there is no problem. But her credit Peggy seems to get it. The short answer may be you don't have any physical damage, but had the questions about your emotional well-being even been asked? We remember how Peggy occupied this role in Luann's saga also. While Hank was clueless as to how to coach Luann through her emotional turmoil, Peggy seemed to favor experiential wisdom that Hank was too proud to listen to in that episode. And that seems to be happening again in this one. Now, I think I'd have to know the stages of grief like Luann knows the stages of arousal to understand what's going on with Luann here. But she has quickly pivoted from sad to angry with something like a rebellious indignation, a detached rebellious indignation. And she seems to be a reference to Sinead O'Connor. That seems apparent to us, the viewer, I think, immediately... But this fact is kind of spoon-fed to us, maybe not to the episode's credit, because Khan makes that connection explicit later in the episode. Anyway, Luann is rejecting the superficiality and fleetingness of physical beauty now, and she's embracing something. I think it's kind of not clear what she's embracing to us, maybe not clear to her either. But here again, she is projecting and maybe misplacing some emotions here. Now, as this table is being set... And we're learning exactly what's going on in Hank's head, without Hank ever, of course, being explicit about it. I have to say, even the guys in the alley realize that Hank needs to talk about this. Hank's deflection of their attempt to broach this topic of buildings explode. That's what they do. Really falls flat, right? And we begin to see here confirmation of our suspicions that Hank is, in fact, not okay emotionally as he does the unthinkable in the alley by pouring Alamo from his can into a glass. The thing that happens here in the alley is we start to get some hints that the explosion at Megalomart was no accident. It was, in fact, an act of sabotage by a rebellious Hank. It's Buck Strickland who mentions that here, but it's going to be more important that Dale starts to buy into this kind of alternate explanation. Now, if you remember, there were hints of that same thing in Propane Boom Part 1, or, at least, or there were at least hints that there were hints. We, the viewer, know that what really happened is that a propane leak caused the fire, and that Hank's protest that he staged at the Chuck Mangione concert was nothing more than kazoos an air horns, but no one else knows that. So, I think we can see realistically how there might be some suspicion here, especially from someone like Buck Strickland, who's just kind of wired that way. Well... Um, literally. He's he's wired, as we find out at Buckley's funeral. There's another clue here that something is off with Hank as you know, he's decrumming the toaster, that important activity, and that prevents him from taking a call from Strickland Propane. Just hard to imagine Hank finding any reason not to take a work call, and certainly he was wide open to take the call at that moment in reality. So once again, we don't see explicitly what's going on in Hank's inner life from him, but we're certainly getting outward hints of it and indications that he's, he, he's actually pretty disturbed. So we're going to pivot back over to Luann here and check in with her. Uh, Peggy brings some tools to her to help Luann cope, and credit to Daisy Durndall for pointing out in a previous Propaniacs episode the connection between Luann's way that she would have worked out issues as a child and her favorite hand puppets. The Manger Babies. Apparently, Peggy realizes that connection, too, and I wonder how Daisy would feel about sharing that with Peggy. At any rate, it doesn't work, as Luann seems to be entrenched in this whole, like, Sinead O'Connor thing, this rejection of beauty and materialism, and by implication, a rejection of her education and realistic job prospects must to Peggy's chagrin. Because this is still the real world, right? I mean, well, okay, it's a cartoon, but in the unreal world of the cartoon, it's the real world! And there are real consequences to Luann's decisions here, her choices, and how she's dealing with her grief. Well, we talked about how the you know suspicion of an alternate explanation and reasons for the megalomart fire important to Dale, and we start to see that here. He's getting it over his head as he hears from this individual who's investigating the fire, sir. We are they. Dale is finally meeting the they that he's been fearing this whole time, and he bails. And that's a Dale trait. We've seen that before. We saw it in Three Days of Condo. We saw it in The Final Shinsault. And we'll see that this, it's not even a B story. Arguably, Bobby's struggles are the B story in this episode, while Hank's and Luann's are the A story. Or maybe Hank's is A, Luann's B, Bobby's C, and this is D. At any rate, whatever this is, this extra story, this side story about Dale inventing a conspiracy is no throwaway in this episode. Again, because some levity is really needed to balance out the heaviness of what the Hill family is going through uh, in this episode, and it is effective. I mean, for example, Hank can't seem to use the propane grill in his own backyard. That's obviously, you know, we see that Hank is not slightly struggling, that he's actually mightily struggling if he's afraid of propane. And sure enough, this scene confirms that. Once again, there's good comic relief because I think that in this episode, it really is helpful, because otherwise, this episode would be pretty heavy and pretty dark. Uh, Some other other episodes that we've looked at, I thought, were missing some of that and didn't work as well for that reason. The final shinsault, again, that would be a really great example of that. But in this one, the comic relief, especially with Dale's cluelessness about his conspiracies, is strong, and his attempt to unravel things like the mystery of the stakes from the sky are helpful again, to keep the show just feeling balanced. And that is how Act 1 closes. And in that act now, we've seen pretty clearly how this trauma has affected Hank and how it's affected Luann. Hank is certainly afraid of propane. We can at least say that and doesn't want to deal with it. And Luann is certainly taking her grief toward having lost Buckley and misplacing it toward grief about her hair, but then kind of turns that into anger at the rest of the world, kind of embracing a Sinead O'Connor vibe. We will see how this continues to work out in the next act, and this is going to be where Khan starts to inject some of that voice of reason that i talked about. He does that at Buckley's funeral. We get this memorable story from Khan, who, even more than Peggy, is, as I said, the voice of reason in this episode. Now, the story, of course, that Khan tells is about facing mortality by savoring life, but In the context of the funeral, it really falls flat. In particular, Hank, the person who, along with Luann, would probably benefit the most from taking the story to heart, thinks it's a joke. Or does he? I think there is some Hank body language here to imply that Hank does understand the point of the story, but just isn't ready to cope yet. So he deflects, and that's why he calls the story a joke. There's good grounding here, too, because while Khan's story is truly moving, his setup is in really poor taste. It turns out Khan is really not that profound. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. I love the animation illustrating the story also. How it it looks completely different from normal King of the Hill, like something out of an illustrated storybook. You know, they didn't have to animate this story at all. They went to a lot of trouble to do that. So, nice touch. Another nice example of comic relief here is Bill does get the joke that Khan tells. And we can all be thankful we'll never know what the joke Bill thought that he got was. Well, now, you know, in the context of the story, Peggy has found out that Hank is afraid of propane, and they go to this grief counseling center for the very specific survivors of propane explosions support group. Of course, Chuck Mangione is there, but he is also a survivor of a propane explosion. Don't know why Luann isn't there, possibly in protest. This counselor at this counseling center is of the highly out of place in this culture ilk of Twig Boy, of the Smokers Anonymous leader in keeping up with our Joneses, of the sports counselor in how to fire a rifle without really trying. Very touchy-feely, in touch with his emotions, a King of the Hill type. He owns two cats. You get the idea? And that, of course, flies right in the face of the John Wayne tough guy that Hank wants to be. But this counselor hits the nail on the head. Hank's marginally rational fear of propane is really a proxy for his very rational fear of death. And that's what Hank's really dealing with right here. It's fear of mortality. I love, though, that Hank calls that idea crazy. Now, Peggy's method of dealing with mortality is somehow perfect. We've talked about how Peggy has a certain mechanical quality, a robotic quality coldness, a matter-of-factness that contrasts with her natural nurturing disposition that we've often seen, especially in her relationships with her family. Peggy has a certain battle-hardness, maybe associated with her relationship with her mother back in Montana, as we'll see in future episodes. That does seem to have equipped her well to face big sources of fear, like mortality, head-on. Peggy's fearlessness about death here and the way she has achieved it with this gruesome scrapbook she keeps is bizarre and disturbing. But We can at least say that she isn't denying or projecting. There's a sweeping of the danger under the rug for Peggy. If anything, she embraces it. And finally here at the end of Act 2 is where Bobby is pulled in. Now Bobby is forced to face Hank's mortality as he overhears the guys talking about Hank's death in the alley. Now, Good news here. Bobby has his friends, especially Connie, whom we know Bobby has a strong connection with, a strong bond with. We saw that in the very first scene. He has those friends to go through this ordeal with. And frankly, they seem like a much better support group than Hank's friends, Dale, Bill, and Boomhauer, despite Boomhauer's poetic reflection of mortality. But that will only get Bobby so far in the economy of King of the Hill. We know it's going to take a connection with and protection from his dad for Bobby to be able to deal with this concern. And having brought the whole Hill family into it, okay, the whole Hill family plus Luann, sorry Hank, We now pivot over into the final act and see how this is going to resolve. Voice of Reason Khan steps in immediately here, and he is able to snap Luann out of her funk by calling out her misplaced grief and rage. Shades of Luann's saga again, where Hank had advised Luann to swallow her emotions instead of dealing with them. Emotions, coincidentally, about losing Buckley. So after rereading Buckley's birthday card, where he had dedicated his gift of his least favorite CDs to her, (laughs) Luann finally releases the emotions that she's been holding in. And who shows up to help her cope? Peggy and Daisy called it the manger babies. And we see what seems to be a healthy dealing with her grief, as she even identifies the deeper issue Like Hank's deeper issue of fearing mortality, the reason Luann is really sad about losing Buckley isn't due to Buckley himself, R.I.P., but her fear of being alone. So the situation seems to be resolved for Luann, at least for the time being. But what about Hank and what about Bobby? We know that Bobby will need that connection with his dad to work through this issue ultimately. And now Hank finally has a reason to work out his issues, because as ironically... Bobby's inadvertently being thrown into them by the guys in the alley forces Hank to deal with the issue for Bobby's sake, and that's the motivation he needs. Because we know that Hank has a genuine love for Bobby, a fatherly affection that is one of the only things that can get Hank to drop this tough guy pretense that he has. And it works. They work it out with a very touching scene, Bobby telling a joke terribly, and father and son are reunited, and everything is going to be okay in this awesome Jungle gym rocket playground thing that they have there in Arlen. The button on the episode, the closing credits, are great. We get some confirmation here that Hank has overcome his fears because he's back in uniform and he's on the job at Strickland Propane. And Joe Jack, Enrique, and Maria Montalvo, nice continuity there from Junkie Business, by the way, are providing a last bit of comic relief by mocking him for his issues earlier in the episode. In True King of the Hill and Arlen fashion. I thought this was a great episode. It had depth, it had complexity, it had heart. The satire maybe wasn't as biting in this one, but that's okay. I mean, Hank's denial seems to me to be the main object of criticism in this episode, but the critique is warm, maybe even empathetic, as it often is with King of the Hill and Hank, who is by no means a perfect character, but almost always a relatable one and a perfect foil for everyone else. Exhibit A being in this episode, as it often is, Dale and his juvenile low-stakes conspiracy theories. All that said, I'm going to give this episode eight juicy goober smooches as a memorable classic, a nice sequel to last season's finale, and a solid opener to what I think most people would agree with me are King of the Hill's prime seasons, seasons three and four and probably five as well. But Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's follow Peggy's wise advice and take it slow, one episode at a time, as we continue to sit in the rocket-shaped jungle gym and talk about this deceptively complex animated sitcom. Join me next time as we meet the immortal Marie in the episode, and they call it Bobby Love. Until then, you can write me at meltonmcmainerberry at gmail.com or find me on Instagram. And remember, fight the occupation! Fight the occupation!